Nearly 2,000 years ago, on the first Easter morning, one woman walked toward a tomb with no reason for hope. A week earlier, Jesus willingly entered the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to shouts of praise and great joy by pilgrims arriving to the holy city. But by the end of the week, Jesus is dead and buried. As far as Jesus' followers were concerned, the week was a total disaster. They had devoted their lives to him, to be with him, to learn from him, to be blessed and to watch as others were blessed and healed in his presence. Jesus had excited their hopes for the kingdom. He had given them reason to believe that God was coming in order to liberate and show forth his power, but it seems that their hopes were nailed to the cross. Let's now step into the story in John's gospel. On that first Easter morning, as a woman named Mary of Magdala walks toward the burial site of Jesus. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. 
And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we pray together that your spirit will break through the familiarity of this story that we too may be amazed. Speak, Lord, we are listening. We want to see the Lord this day. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. A few years back, a fascinating article was published in Time magazine announcing that the search engine giant Google and its CEO at the time, Larry Page, that they were going to launch a company called Calico that will try to extend the human lifespan and solve the diseases of ages, aging. This happened back in 2013. The printed newsstand cover said in very big letters, can Google solve death? <laughs> While most of, most of us are trying to get our taxes or our homework turned in in time, or finally preparing a home-cooked meal for our family and friends, Google is going after death. You gotta love an audacious goal. Paige referred to Google's more out there ventures as moonshots, a company whose goal is to solve death. Time goes on to say that would be crazy if it weren't Google. The author of the article then muses, who else is going to do it? Jesus, likewise, viewed death as an enemy. However, his goal was not to endlessly evade death, but rather to abolish it. Friends, we have four accounts of this first Easter morning. Solid history is documented by four individuals, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Names are given throughout. The story is written in a way that invites us to check facts. It's as if we are placed into the drama ourselves and invited to take a look and to view the evidence. Let's look at the different resurrection responses documented in this particular gospel in John's scripture. First, you have Mary, Mary Magdalene. She comes to Jesus' tomb early on that first Easter morning. Her life revolved around Jesus. Of all people, she could recognize Jesus anywhere until she didn't or couldn't. She came to minister to Jesus' dead body according to Jewish ritual to prepare his body for burial. She sees a man behind her, one of the great hilarious cases of mistaken identity as Mary supposes that he is the gardener. Mary's role, her prominent role, is, is really interesting. Mary gets the amazing job of being the first to tell the other disciples that I have seen the Lord. All four gospels have women as the first eyewitnesses. Now, if this was a made-up story by the early church, it was definitely not a smart idea to have women as the first witnesses to the resurrection at this time and place in history. 
Jewish courts did not even accept the testimony of female witnesses at that time. Mary is looking for a corpse that has been moved, not a Lord who has risen. When Jesus speaks one word, Mary, she knows it's him. Her eyes are opened. Jesus is not a fantasy man, but a real man who speaks and listens and can be touched. Peter and John race to the tomb. Although the risen Jesus is not seen by them at that moment, they see the evidence of the resurrection. John chooses to believe. He believes that Jesus is now alive. He is, for us, a model disciple. Oddly, the story is silent about the faith of Peter. Peter and others will need to see an appearance of Jesus. It's the honesty of these first disciples, the earliest disciples, and these early resurrection responses that give us hope and empowers our moments of doubt. It is okay to be confused and bewildered at time. Sit with me for a moment about the whole notion of doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It is unbelieving. Faith and doubt can coexist. This is important to understand because we all have believing and doubting inside us. Doubt is honest and constructive doubt can lead to faith. The 19th century theologian Soren Kierkegaard suggests that for one to truly believe in God, one would also have to have times of doubting one's belief. For doubt is the rational part of us that, that weighs evidence, that searches for truth and light, so that a person's belief evidentially has real substance. Doubt is a path towards deeper belief lies at the heart of the story of Thomas in the New Testament, who needed to see and touch the resurrected Jesus in order to believe. He acts like a person from Missouri, the show me state. Faith for him is more daunting. Thomas provides a template for all subsequent Disciples like us who don't get the experience of actually seeing and touching a resurrected Jesus and who are challenged to believe. John Ordberg writes, disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and they worship. They doubt and they serve. They doubt and they help each other with their doubts. They doubt and they practice faithfulness. They doubt and they wait for their doubt one day to be turned to knowing. We believe and we doubt. But they are not equal. They cannot lay the same claim on our allegiance. One key way we know that the resurrection is not an idle tale is because of how the lives of the first disciples were changed. This is a really important witness to us. 
the rapid growth of the early church is unexplainable, unexplainable, apart from an empty tomb. However, an empty tomb in and of itself does not provide a persuasive argument for the resurrection. An empty tomb means that the body is not there. The burden of the Christian proclamation was on the experience of the risen Christ by his followers. Most of the early witnesses came to faith in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, not because they could not find his dead body, but because they found Christ alive. At least nine of the original apostles gave their lives for saying Jesus walked out of a tomb. They insisted to their dying breaths that they had physically seen Jesus bodily raised from the dead. They were transformed from a people huddled in fear to a people of unwavering belief and conviction. Not a one of them made a deal with the authorities in order to save themselves. They went to their deaths telling his story. Prior to the resurrection, Peter lied to save himself. After the resurrection, he would not deny allegiance to Christ even to the point of death. Peter eventually was hung upside down and crucified because of his belief in a resurrected Jesus. Something real happened that transformed people in a powerful way. We don't really know how it happened, but the disciples who were there know that it happened. There was a clear impact on the people who saw this event. They were motivated to spread the good news of this at great cost, enormous personal cost to themselves. 2,000 years later, nothing less than the power of the risen Christ could inspire Christians around the world to remain faithful in the midst of torture, prison, and death. Jesus is risen from the dead. That is the thrilling message of Easter, one you can bet your life upon. And to the extent that the resurrection is real to you, it will change everything about how you live in the present. Anglican priest Tish Warren, a New York Times contributor and a, a friend to Covenant, we have interacted with Tish a couple of times. She posted on her newsletter last weekend about a recent conversation with Tim Keller. Tim Keller, if, if that's a new name to you, he is a well-respected pastor, theologian, and author of several best-selling books. Tim Keller moved to New York City in 1989 with his wife, Kathy, and their three young sons in order to plan a new church that has now grown to become one of the best-known churches in our country. Known to be a great thinker and an important trusted voice in the modern contemporary church. Keller is also living with terminal cancer, diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer almost two years ago. Tish Warren wanted to have a conversation with Tim Keller 
because she wanted to know more about how his diagnosis changed the way he thinks about life, death, and the week leading up to Easter. In the midst of ongoing chemotherapy, he made time for the interview and shared about how his encounter with mortality is indeed changing the way he views life and death. Keller shared about his journal entry on the word focus, focus, and how he is spending his time, including who he is spending his time with. There is nothing like a serious illness to help clarify what is most important in life. He shared about the ways he is investing in his marriage to make it better and the experiences that he wants to have with his children and his grandchildren. He's also considering any remaining legacy that he wants to impart to the church and he is desiring to be an encourager. He then disclosed how his faith has moved from believing with your head to a more experiential side of the faith. When it comes to faith, Keller has used his head a lot. He thinks about faith. Now he is talking about growing in the experience of faith. It's one thing to know that God loves you and is present with you. It's quite another to feel and to experience God's love and presence with you. Keller is learning how to know the Lord. He goes on to say, if we come to the place where we can accept the resurrection, then suddenly there is no limit to what kinds of things we can look forward to. He shares that he and his wife Kathy would both say that they have never been happier in their lives. Even though they are living under the shadow of cancer, the opinion concludes with these remarks from him. I do think that the great thing about cancer is that Easter does mean a whole lot more because I look at Easter and I say, because of this, I can face anything. In the past, I thought of Easter as a kind of optimistic, upbeat way of thinking about life. And now I see that Easter is a universal solvent. It can eat through any fear, any anger, and despair. I see it more powerful than ever before. The wonderful news of Easter is that suffering will not be the end of Tim Keller's story, nor will it be ours. While listening to a podcast produced by Mockingbird Ministries earlier this week, one pastor remarked to another, that there are a lot of ways that Christianity is presented that it is very much up to you, the Christian, to get it right. It is very much up to you to be faithful, to feed enemies and to overcome evil with good, to be totally sold out and on fire for the Lord, to take every thought captive, to memorize scripture and to store it in your heart. It's up to you, it's up to you, it's up to you. It's all up to what you are doing. That first Easter morning, 
Nobody thought Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, even though he had taught this over and over again. The earliest followers of Jesus absolutely think that he will still be dead as they make their way to the tomb. Thank God the truth of the resurrection does not depend on them, nor does it depend on us. As Thomas, Pastor Thomas, reminded us recently, Christianity at its core is not about what we do. It is a celebration of what God has done. Friends, the truth of an empty tomb changes everything. It changes everything about death. It changes everything about life. With the challenges that we have in our personal lives and with a world that seems to be on fire, we sing a new song, proclaiming God's beauty and God's redemption in the midst of tragedy and suffering. What difference does Easter make? Easter means nothing is impossible with God. Moreover, that life triumphs over death, love triumphs over hatred, hope triumphs over despair, and suffering will not be the final word. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives life and meaning to everything. Because of the resurrection, there is no limit to the kinds of things we can look forward to. Death is not the final word, and we have new life in Christ. Go and share this amazing news with the world, with the living of your lives. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, on this Easter Sunday, we thank you for the miracle that our minds can barely comprehend. We are profoundly grateful for Christ's victory over death and how the resurrection still is changing lives today. We bless you and thank you for the outpouring of your love and offer our worship out of enormous gratitude. To you be honor and glory forever and ever. And all of God's people together we say, Amen.